Indonesians are voting on the first round of an electoral contest to decide who will be president in the world's third largest democracy. Stephen Hill asked Professor Greg Barton of Deakin University about what the likely election of Prabowo Subianto means for the state of Indonesia's democracy. Well, long story short, it's not in robust good health, but it's not dire either. A lot's going to depend on this next president. We know with certainty who that will be. It'll be Prabowo Subianto. The only question is whether he's elected outright with more than 50% on Wednesday or has to go to a runoff poll in June. President Jokowi, it's true, is an outsider, not a Jakarta insider, in, in many respects moderate pro-business. And through his first five-year term, things seemed good. Through the second five-year term, there were increasing concerns about what people saw as democratic regression. Not so much that Jokowi has been anti-democratic, has just not had sufficient respect for democratic institutions and preserving them. So Indonesia still has a free and robust press, still has a robust civil society sector, but they're facing more legal challenges than this health. And now we have this strange situation where this outsider from Jakarta has basically given his imprimatur for Ebola, who's very much an insider. And people are going to the poll on Wednesday very much with the mindset of voting for a third term of Jokowi. They don't get a third term of Jokowi, but they get, they get a first term of Prabowo. And whether that amounts to what they're expecting is, is the open question. So let's talk a little bit about the runner, uh, Prabowo, the former army general and son-in-law of former dictator Suharto. Now, he's a previously seemed to favour a more authoritarian form of government, but that has been moderated more with uh, with his policy positions now that he's um, running the third time for the presidential office. If successful, where do you envision Prabowo taking Indonesia over the next five years? Well, the hope is that in the short term, he'll appoint a, a technocratic cabinet that will do a, a decent job, much as Jokowi's cabinet has been doing. But like Jokowi, he's not known as a staunch Democrat by any means. Uh, of course, his credentials are such that he's there's more of a question mark over him than there is with the current president. Prabowo is head of Kopassus, which is the a special forces unit of the military with a notorious human rights record in, in places like East Timor, but also in Indonesia itself. So that includes the kidnapping and, and presumed execution of dozens of political activists back at the end of the Suharto regime when there were protests calling for change. So Suharto stepped down in May 98. When Suharto stepped down, there was immediately riots in Chinese business districts in Jakarta and central Java. And the anecdotal reports were that the, the riots were targeted, addressing certain Chinese-owned businesses, and involved well-built young men with short haircuts. In other words, apparently military guys. And there were two people who were blamed for that at the time. One was Prabowo Subianto, and, and the other was General Wiranto. Um, we still don't know what happened then. Uh, but in that process, we've also had disappearance of activists of Nila, whose remains have never been found. The, and then, of course, the really atrocious stories from East Timor after the polling in 1999 that saw violence break out at the instigation, partly, of the Indonesian military. For people who know that history and, and lived through that time, there's a real sense of apprehension about Prabowo Subianto. On the other hand, more than 50% of voters on Wednesday will be under the age of 40, so they have no memory of that time as adults. Many of them weren't born at that time. And the uh, surprising popularity that the polls are showing for Prabowo is basically because people like Jokowi here, and he says, Prabowo is my guy, and people said, OK, if we can't vote for you, we'll vote for Prabowo. But going back to his policy position, in, in 2014, when he was campaigning the first time for a serious run of the presidency, he literally launched his campaign riding a chestnut stallion 
channeling Mussolini and then made an address behind period microphones wearing a safari suit looking very much like historic photographs of the first president, President Sukarno. So very much giving strongman vibes. He tried that again uh, over the next five years when he was in opposition. But by 2019, uh, when Jokowi was running for a second term and Prabowo was trying his luck, uh, he'd pivoted. And he pivoted partly because he was involved in some ugly mass protests in the lead-up to a 2017 vote for the governor of Jakarta. And he was seen to be a player behind the scenes trying on Islamist populism to see how it goes ahead of the 2019 election. The good news is he acted differently in 2019, was unsuccessful, but then was taken into the cabinet by Jokowi as defence minister and has been you know, relatively moderate ever since. So. so so, one of the great concerns when I was in Jakarta around the time of the previous election was about the possibilities of identity politics and uh, religion being weaponised. We had the 212 action protests focused on the Jakarta governor, as you talked about. Would it be correct in saying that in this election that issues about religion in the public square are not the driving force and that we can expect that political pluralism will continue to be a main driver in Indonesian body politics? Yeah, a lot will depend on the, the makeup of the government and what sort of deals are, are done and whether we have a strong opposition. So up until now, we've had a weak opposition that's been predominantly Islamist, parties like PKS, the main Islamist party, and that means that the Islamists have been on the back foot. The 212 stands for the 2nd of December. It's protests at the largest. They probably had 500,000, 700,000 people on the streets of Jakarta. And there were groups like the Islamic Defenders Front, known for vigilante activity, smashing up places they thought of ill research during Ramadan and other shows of the fire and hate speech. Now, Prabowo didn't have a deep organic relationship with them, but he was seen to be aligned with them. And he backed away for that for the 2019 campaign, where he came across much more as a cosmopolitan. And perhaps for that reason, it was easy for Jokowi to co-opt him and bring him into the cabinet, where... Since then, he's, he's not had this organic relationship with identity politics, Islamist positioning. It has to be said that uh, Prabowo is not somebody known for his overt religiosity. He doesn't regularly go to mosque or, or pray. His family is mixed Christian and Muslim. He was married to the daughter of Suharto, but he's been separated for decades and is very much a confirmed bachelor. He doesn't appear to have any romantic relations. So all of that is a little unusual, but it means he's not in a strong position to play the Islamist card. And having apparently tried it in late 2016, 2017, doesn't seem to be going that route. But one of the other candidates he's up against on Wednesday, Anis Baswiden, was the guy who was successful in becoming governor of Jakarta with Prabowo's help, it could be argued. He's not going to win on Wednesday, but if Prabowo can't get 50%, the question will be where Anis's voters go come June. It's easy to imagine that Anis might come second on Wednesday, in which case the deal-making from his combination of support from PKS and other Islamist groups and also to the traditionalist Nadal Lama, that, that sort of deal-making might influence the shape of the cabinet. Probably not in a disastrous way, but it's just going to be a factor. We might then see, if, if that prediction is correct, PDIP, Megawati's party, the largest in, in Parliament, go into an opposition role, which could actually be a healthy uh, development. If, however, on Wednesday we don't see getting more than 50%, so we have a runoff in June, and yet the second-place candidate is Andrea Panowo. Uh, then in that case, what we might see is Anis's group going into opposition and, and using identity politics. So the scary days of the 212 movement at the end of 2016 appear to have passed, and yet democracy is in a less robust good health than it was then.
time when um, Ganya Nipranoa seemed to be one of the real people to beat when it came to the nomination, but obviously we've had the in- internal squabbles within the PDIP itself in the nomination process, and also obviously the big one, the defection of Chikawi's son to be the vice president candidate. Has that totally ruined Pranoa's chances of, of obtaining the position of president? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. So it's very hard to explain. Oh, I'm speculating. My interpretation is that of the three pairs of candidates, because you've got president and vice president running for direct election, the Gunja Mafud MD pairing was pretty strong. They've performed well in vice presidential and presidential debates. I don't think Gunja is as charismatic a campaigner in some ways as Anis, but you know he's, he's done okay as far as the technical side of campaigning, but just hasn't cut through. Prabowo has had a very mixed bag with his campaigning. He's not done particularly well in, in debate. So it's hard to explain why suddenly Prabowo is the super popular polling uh, high figure in 2024, when in 2019 and 2014, he wasn't doing that well. So it's really hard to explain that pivot. The simplest explanation is that Jokowi with 77% approval rating, with an economy that's consistently been at 5%-ish growth rate for decades, fairly low unemployment, fairly low inflation, uh, the people just want more of that. And so they think if they can't vote for Jokowi, and there was some speculation that Jokowi would have the law change so we could have a third term, I think people quite naturally interpret Jokowi's strong endorsement of Prabowo as offering a surrogate, that they can have Prabowo and they'll be getting more of Jokowi. Now, normally a vice president doesn't really amount to too much, but the fact that um, Jokowi's uh, young son, Gibran, who was also, like him in the past, uh, mayor of Solo, comes from central Java, his individual appeal is hard to explain as being the slightly difference. But I think the package, Jokowi, I'm, I'm backing this pair, Prabowo, Subianto, and, and Gibran, my son, and if you like me, vote for them. Finally, just as a lack of representation of women candidates in the Indonesian politics, uh, Indonesia currently does have a female foreign minister, but there are very few female candidates elected or in senior positions. Would this be expected to continue in the upcoming election, or has there been a, a greater drive to get female candidates? Well, it's a mixed story. The, the good news that in, is that Indonesia is way ahead of, of, of many parts of Asia. Um, there are many good women going into politics, many of them succeeding at a very high level. The bad news, and this is actually familiar you know, in Australian terms, is it's not that women don't show up and aren't electable. They're often given poor places on tickets, so seats end up going to men. I, I think we'll see a number of women in the next cabinet, as we've seen in Jokowi's current cabinet, and that's good. There also need to be women at the local state legislature, uh, regional legislature, as well as, as the national legislature. And the numbers aren't going up as, as strongly as they should, not because Indonesia is a place that's monolithically patriarchal and doesn't allow any space for women. Women enjoy high rates of education and participation in the workforce, and many have been trying to make their mark in politics, but the boys' club sort of shuts them out and they end up in in weak positions on tickets, and it's, it's a party ticket system, so that makes all the difference. Professor Greg Barton of Deakin University, the biographer of Indonesia's first democratically elected president, Abdurrahman Wahid, speaking there with Stephen Hill.